Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpe and Peter Torpe. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. If you enjoy the outdoors, this episode is for you. We'll be talking about how many nature trails have now been made to be accessible by the visually impaired. We'll speak with Jerry Barrier, a blind nature enthusiast, and Lucy Gertz of the Mass Audubon Society about what constitutes an accessible trail, how they are developed, and how they can be enjoyed by the blind. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Lucy Gertz. Well, my first tip is for people who are listening, I encourage you to go out and enjoy nature. It's good for you physically and mentally. And and more and more health professionals are finding just how true that is. And my second tip is if you want to develop something like an all-person's trail, um, my biggest tip would be to get a partner like Jerry who brings so much expertise and is so resourceful and generous with his time and his knowledge and is just a lot of fun to travel around the state with. Thank you, Lucy. Those are good tips. And if you keep listening, you'll be hearing a lot more about how these two work together to make these trails very fun and accessible to people with all kinds of disabilities. We've had the pleasure of walking on some all-persons trails, and there's something there for everybody. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible by Logan Tech, makers of the electronic take-anywhere six-dot braille label maker that produces crisp, clear braille that strikes, scores, and cuts in seconds. More information on our family of devices and products is at logantech.com. Logan Tech, improving quality of life with technology. Let's start by meeting Lucy and Jerry and learning about their respective roles at the Mass Audubon Society and the Perkins School. Jerry, can you start by introducing yourself? Yes, I'm Jerry Barrier, and I am a totally blind person, blind from birth from retinopathy of prematurity. Uh, I work at the Perkins School for the Blind for a program called the National Deaf Blind Equipment Distribution Program commonly known as I Can Connect, and we provide uh, distance communication equipment for people who are deaf-blind. One of my interests throughout my adult life has been birding by ear. Uh, I started in the 70s when I was in college and have been doing it ever since then, so that's how I got involved with Mass Audubon and with this whole process of helping to create nature trails that are more accessible. And Lucy? Hi, I'm Lucy Gertz, and I uh, work in the education department at the Massachusetts Audubon Society. And I help support the work at 20 staffed nature centers around the state. And that includes producing and developing materials for visitor experiences, trails, exhibits, um, programs. And in the last 10 years, my work has included developing universally designed accessible nature trail experiences. And I take it you are fully sighted, Lucy? Yes, I am. How did you guys initially connect with each other? 
So in 2008, we had a couple of very generous sanctuary committee donors who wanted to reactivate what had been called a Braille trail at one of our sanctuaries. And I was asked to help them with this project. And as I started working with the site, we realized that we really needed more expertise and input. Um, and so I contacted the Perkins School for the Blind. And also, Jerry had had a relationship with other sanctuaries at Mass Audubon. And it was recommended to me that I contact him and get some help. Um, so I did. And we've been working together ever since. Yes, I was involved as a volunteer at one of the Mass Audubon sanctuaries, and that's how I got started, and that's where I was at the time that I was recommended to Lucy. From what I understand, birding is not that uncommon among blind people because you can identify the birds by their songs and their calls. And we actually did an episode about five years ago with a blind amateur ornithologist in Washington State named Dave Engebretson. And that was episode number 1218. I don't know if you know him, but he talked about going out with his birding partner who could see just fine but was deaf. So Dave would hear the birds and his partner would see the birds and together they had a great time in the woods. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. This week's focus topic is the development of trails that are accessible to anybody and the ability to use them for birding. So before we start talking about accessible trails and some of the projects in which you two have been involved in together, I wanted to ask you, Jerry, have you always been interested in the outdoors and hiking and birding? I have. Um, I went to camp when I was a child and always enjoyed it. And I always liked the sounds of the birds, but never really paid much attention until my biology instructor in college offered me the opportunity to study bird sounds in lieu of dissecting frogs. And I did it for a semester, and uh, then he took me out into the woods and tested me by listening to sounds and asking me to identify them, and I found that I enjoyed it. Uh, but yes, I am a nature lover. I like a lot of things about nature, and my interest in birding has spawned interest in many other things. I pay attention to when the sunrise and sunset happen, and I'm interested in environmental issues and weather and all sorts of things like that. You know, I think it's funny. Nancy and I like to do lots of hiking through woods and up mountains and all. And I almost think that a visually impaired person has an advantage. You know, I'll go through the woods and I'll listen to all the birds and the trees and I can practically see them. I mean, I can't really see them, but, you know, I have this sense of where they are and that there's a bird up there. And then I ask Nancy, what does that bird look like? And of course, the leaves obscure all the birds, and she never sees them. So it's kind of an ironic situation. That's very true. And, of course, you can only see things in the direction that you're looking, but you have 360-degree hearing. You can hear in all directions. So, uh, And a lot of birds are uh, way up in the canopy, and there are other reasons they're difficult to spot. So uh, it's often easier to detect them by sound than it is by sight. Anyway, Lucy, you talked about searching out Jerry's expertise to help make the trails more accessible to the visually impaired. Can you talk a little bit about 
what needs to be done in order to make these trails more accessible and more pleasant for visually impaired people? Certainly. So first, we develop trails that are physically ADA compliant, which until we know they'll be more user-friendly for a whole range of visitors. So these trails are ADA compliant, well-marked, easy to navigate wide and gentle, and so we know that they're good for a whole variety of users. So once we get a trail segment ADA compliant, which requires a fair amount of investment, uh, some cart paths and old farm roads are fairly easy to resurface and meet ADA compliance. Other trails are through, through the woods over wetlands, and we have to get trail building consultants and construction professionals in to physically create the trail segments that we are going to use. So that's, that's always the first part, the physical work. Are there any national guidelines available to help you build an ADA-compliant trail? Currently, we use the standards by the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, They have the most current accessible uh, trail information on their website. Um, And for exhibits and signage, we follow the Smithsonian Institution's guidelines. Uh, So I believe that, that information is in our guidelines manual, but that might be helpful to some groups who are looking to do this. So after you secured the funding, what is the next step in getting a trail ready to be accessible? Then we want to make the trail experiences really multisensory and inviting and, and safe and, and fun. And so we embed signage that's in large print and braille. Um, we embed uh, guiding systems where we can. We have posts and ropes on several of our trails, which allows for someone who is sight impaired to independently navigate the trail and have an outdoor experience on their own, which I think is very, very important, and that's always our ideal. We have tactile stops along the way, and so everything we do to develop these trail experiences is done to support multi-sensory exploration, and it all incorporates universal design. How does the planning process work? Who are the stakeholders? We do it through an inclusive planning process where we have have Jerry and others work with us. Each trail has seven to ten testers who come and bring the perspective of many, many users with many, many different accessibility needs so that what we have planned we can test and make sure it's really going to be as easy to use and enjoyable and educationally sound for as many people as possible. Well, that's really important to get feedback from the people who are actually going to use these trails because you never know really what they need and and how they are going to perceive what they're going through. Absolutely. We learn so much from our testers, and it always strengthens the planning and implementation of the trail. Well, and if nothing else, we've run into situations where I've found, you know, an entire plaque in Braille, and I'm like, oh, Pete, terrific. Look, you get to read this on your own, and and it turned out to be gibberish because they hadn't had anybody who could read Braille, proofread the thing. I can't tell you how many times we've seen that. That's disappointing to hear. We're lucky because the director of the Perkins Library proofreads all our Braille, and, and the engraver who makes our signs makes all the signs on the Perkins campus. So we were just given great help on that all along. That's really nice that you're providing an opportunity for people to get out in the woods in a safe, easy, non-threatening manner, especially for their first experiences. And whether people are sighted or not, 
and otherwise able-bodied or not. And then as people become more and more comfortable being out in the woods, they can tackle more and more challenging terrain. So we've talked to totally blind people who've, you know, climbed Mount Everest or hiked the Appalachian Trail, and you wouldn't want to do that for your first time out. Your first time out, you want it to be guaranteed or at least very likely to be a successful experience. These nature trails are designed to accommodate the broadest possible range of individuals of varying abilities. So they are they're typically very easy trails to, to manage because they adhere to ADA uh, regulations. So they're basically level, uh, some slight inclines or declines, but nothing major and they're very easy to manage. So they may not be of so much interest to folks who are more into mountain climbing and that sort of thing, but they are designed so that anyone who wants to use them can, if at all possible. Well, the other thing I think is nice about the trails, as Lucy described them, was this isn't just a walk through the woods, but it's also kind of an education and learning experience with plaques along the way describing the terrain or maybe the geological formations and things like that. So there's sort of more enjoyment than just taking a walk through the woods. Yeah, we have it set up both ways. So anyone who wants to use the trails just to have a a trail, an outing on a trail, that's perfectly fine, but we also set up what we consider to be about a one-hour-long educational experience on the trails, and that's available for anyone who would like to use the audio tour or follow with the printed materials and learn at these different stops and stations along the way. So you can use the trails either way. Mm-hmm. And the audio tours are available in various ways. Uh, you can call a cell phone number at some of our locations and listen to it as you're walking along or even before you go there. You can also download the audio files from the Mass Audubon website at massaudubon.org and listen to them on your MP3 player. And some of the sites also have Victor Stream players available that you can borrow and listen to them while you're walking the trails. Oh, isn't that nice? So this sounds like it must take a lot of planning and a lot of work to get one of these trails in shape to be accessible in this way. Can you talk a little bit about the process of, you know, from start to finish, here's a trail through the woods, and how do we manage all this to get it all working and being accessible? Sure. It takes about two years uh, if if we have everything lined up in order. So first we do fundraising and we get the resources, the funding needed to physically design and build the trail, which is the most expensive part, um, is getting the trail ready to meet ADA compliance. As I said, it might require boardwalks over wetlands or moving out rough surfaces. It almost always involves surfacing material. And so just physically clearing and meeting compliance, um, that usually takes about a year. And then the second year, Jerry and I come in, we visit the trail initially with the folks who know the site best, the caretakers, the educators, and the sanctuary directors who manage the properties, and we walk with them and find out everything they have in mind, and Jerry and I give them our feedback on what we think would work well for the stops and the experiences and the seating and everything along the way, navigational resources. And then we develop a plan and a script Uh, which becomes the basis for the audio tour and the printed materials and all the stops. So 
the site team might spend four to six months working on their script for their initial uh, version of the trail tour. And Jerry and I work with them, and then we bring in testers to come and experience what we have in mind and find out how they would improve it and how they would strengthen the plans to make it work for even more people um, and be more effective. And so that takes a few months. And at one point, we, we consider it done, and we get the audio tour recorded, and we put it in all the different places it's going to be available. We get the printed materials ready in large print regular print and braille. We usually have a ribbon cutting and a celebration to thank everyone who's involved and all the testers come back and all the partners and all the vendors. And from then on, we then do an ongoing outreach to make sure groups are using the trail, to make sure we're getting input if something could be better. Uh, the trails are outdoors, and so they do require yearly maintenance. Things get washed out, trees fall down. Um, you know, we've had stops get destroyed because the forces of nature are at work, which is a beautiful thing, but you know, sometimes a pond dries out or a, or a tree we had as a stop falls over. <laughs> so there is a oh, well. bit of ongoing, ongoing uh, redesign of the trails. Sometimes we have to update the materials. In a nutshell, I would say it's a year to design and construct and then another year to develop and launch the experience. And then after that is an ongoing effort to keep them as, as user-friendly and, and running as smoothly and effectively as possible. Lucy, this may be a good time for you to talk about the Accessible Trails Guide. Sure. So um, after creating the or adding this experiential trail piece or overlay to 10 of our trails, we received grant funding to develop a printed and uh, video materials to help other groups see the importance of doing this and how how to go about doing that, how to go about developing and operating what we call all-persons trails. And the result of that project, after one year of reflecting on the 10 or 12 trails we had already developed and the process we used and everything we learned, we wrote a guidelines manual. It's about 80 pages. It's available online for free to any group that's interested. Um, we also developed a seven-minute video that talks about the importance of these trails uh, from the perspective of the people who use them. Both the video and the guidelines manual have been used by groups all over the country, and we get contacted pretty regularly by groups interested, and we send them these materials. Um, and then sometimes after reading the materials, they contact us and want even more guidance and help, and we, we offer that as well because we've received a lot of support from donors and foundations and grants to learn how to do this and to, to have the experience doing it, and we feel part of that is also sharing with other groups that want to do this as well. Just recently, we got a call from an individual who works for the state parks organization in the state of Utah asking if she could come out here to Massachusetts and visit some of the accessible trails and other venues that were set up uh, to be inclusive for people with disabilities. And I was elated because she came and I had a chance to talk to her and, and walk a trail with her. And she said to me that she had watched our video over and over and over again because she found it informative and, and uh, really enjoyed it. So that was great. Well, that sounds like a great resource for people wanting to put together accessible trails in their community. I'd like to mention one other thing. The question is asked once in a while, what's one of the greatest challenges that people face who want to visit accessible nature trails? And as you can probably guess, it's transportation. It's getting to the trail. That can be the, the biggest difficulty. And uh, there are a number of ways now that that, that can be 
handled that were not available some years ago, such as Lyft and Uber if you're in a relatively urban area. Uh, but transportation is always a concern that we have. It really uh, is unfortunate to create a nature trail in an area where people just can't get to. But we've found that our trails are visited by a lot of people with a wide range of disabilities, and sometimes people visit them that we never thought would. And these trails are not just for people who are blind. I, I hope we've made this clear that they are meant to be inclusive for people of all abilities. And we do have people from group homes that will bring clients in in groups and children's groups sometimes visit the trails. And there are ways that people find to get there, especially if they come in a group. And uh, we're very encouraged by that, that the trails get a lot of visitors that we never expected they would. Well, and I think another really nice feature, and we've run into these multi-ability trails sometimes without even looking for them, that they're encompassed within a bigger trail system. And so people who don't even know that they're there will just discover they're there and then explore them and learn from them just as much as if they knew they were there and went there on purpose. Yes. Absolutely. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about creating accessible trails and other resources about birding and walking in the woods. So we talked about doing some outreach work, and here's the opportunity to do that. For people who are interested in finding out more about some of the resources you've put together and accessible trails, where would you send them? First, I would invite them to go to our website, which is massaudubon.org, M-A-S-S-A-U-D-U-B-O-N.org slash accessibility. That'll lead you right to the landing page that talks about the trails, the resources, our progress in developing more trails, and it has the guidelines manual and the video. Their links are all there. It also invites people who've used the trails to give us feedback and let us know if there's anything we could do better. Oh, fantastic. Jerry, you mentioned that you put together some audio files that could be accessed through a telephone. It sounds like people can take a virtual tour of some of these trails. Is that right? That is correct. We have cell phone tours on several of our trails, and some of them are only available during the spring, fall, and summer, and some some have two different or even more than two different versions for summer and winter, and at least one of them has options for listening to the recordings in English or Spanish, and each has their own phone numbers, and those numbers can be gotten from massaudubon.org. Well, so if you want to experiment or you don't live in Massachusetts and you want to see what these trails are like, I guess that would be a good way of doing it. If anybody had a question for either of you, is there a way they could contact you? Sure. I get contacted through the website. So if people have questions and they want to send them to me, probably the most effective way is to go through our, our website. Um, and then if the questions are related to accessible trails, they will eventually get to me. And I will be happy to respond. And to contact me, uh, my email address is jerry at birdblind, B-I-R-D-B-L-I-N-D dot org. And for anyone who doesn't know what a bird blind is, it's a shelter 
that hides your appearance from the birds. It's got a uh, slatted wall or some other sort of device that that makes it a little more difficult for the birds to see you, but enables you to look through it and see the birds. And I was sitting in one one day when it occurred to me that bird blind might be a good email address for me. I also have my own website, which is absolutely amateurish, but I do have a lot of information on there, uh, some of which is related to birding. I have resources to different radio shows that people can listen to and a lot of other things. So if anyone wants to check my website, it is www.birdblind.org. Great. Are there any other resources for people around the country or around the world where you'd point them to if they wanted to learn more about trails and birding? I'll mention a few. There are lots of resources. I always tell people, if you want to know information about a bird, just Google it and you will find an unbelievable array of resources. But Cornell University has an excellent library of recorded sounds that you can access. There's a radio show I listen to weekly called Talkin' Birds. That's T-A-L-K-I-N, birds. It's missing the G. And I find it not only entertaining, but also educational. And there are many other resources uh, which escape me now, but a number of them are listed on my website. As we were talking, I checked out your website, and you have a link to something called natureforthablind.com. They seem to have a directory of trails all over the world that are accessible. So for anybody listening, wherever they are, that might be an interesting resource to use. But that's just one of the useful things you can find at, at Jerry's website. Right. Does either of you have a social media presence? Yes, I'm on Twitter. Jerry Barrier, J-E-R-R-Y-B-E-R-R-I-E-R is my Twitter handle. I'm also on Facebook, and uh, I welcome anyone to contact me through either of those media. I'm also very interested in audio recording and editing, and I've done all the audio production uh, for the uh, sites that we have audio tours for. So I'm interested in uh, answering questions and talking to folks who are blind who are trying to do audio recording I have an array of microphones that I use for my own nature recording, and I'm, I don't have the time or money or energy to be a professional at that because I still work full-time at a completely non-related uh, field. But I'm happy to talk to folks about that and welcome contacts on any of the media or my email address. And Lucy, I assume Mass Audubon has an active social media presence? Absolutely. We have a social media communications director, and that person is so much more savvy at this than I am. So I will just encourage you all to go to Mass Audubon's website where you can, I think, can find the Facebook links and all the other social media information. Great. And that was a lot of contact information. But as usual, if you're looking for any of that, go to the show notes associated with this episode at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 1738. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about running a marathon with a remote IRA guide. IRA, spelled A-I-R-A, is a service developed to give the blind instant access to information using their smartphone, 
a video camera, and a remote sighted agent. We'll speak with Eric Manser, a blind distance runner and triathlete, and Jess Jakeway, a sighted distance runner who served as Eric's remote guide using Ira at the 2017 Boston Marathon. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.tiesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, follow us on Facebook and on Audioboom.com, at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you'll join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.